apparently some 6,000 believers were martyred for their faith in this last year. According to Open Doors, over 360 million Christians live in contexts where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination every day. And in some places, that's increasing. Over 5,000 churches and other religious buildings were attacked. Uh, almost 5,000, again, believers were detained without trial or imprisoned. Now, many of our hillside community have firsthand experience with this, either them, themselves having suffered persecution and abuse, or their families have relatives, or they have friends, or they come from contexts where that's very, very common, uh, or our workers live in those contexts. So it's very near to us, really. So we do need to pray for our brothers and sisters in these contexts and pray with them, remember them, and uh, seek to encourage them. So I'd like to read a psalm, which is a cry for help. And it's a cry, and I thought we could read that and uh, in an affinity with those who are crying for help right now. And whether that's someone, maybe even in our own congregation here or, or someone in faraway lands who's struggling or in prison, whatever. So um, please stand with me as if you're able. And I'm going to read uh, Psalm 70. And then when I'm finished, if we could just stand for a short time in silence. And if you want to pray in your heart, that's fine. Otherwise, we stand in silence and just memory and an affinity again together with those who are suffering. Okay, Psalm 70. A prayer for help. Oh God, hurry to take me out of trouble. Oh Lord, hurry to help me. Let those who want to kill me be ashamed and brought low. Let those who want to hurt me be turned away in shame. Let those who say, aha, be turned back because of their shame. Let all who look for you be full of joy and be glad in you. And, and let those who love your saving power always say, let God be honored. But I am poor and in need. Hurry to me, O God. You are my help and the one who takes me out of trouble. O Lord, do not wait. Thank you. You may be seated. Before I introduce our speaker this morning, I'd like to read a scripture passage. It's from Genesis 18, verses 1 to 16. It's about our old friend Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. You remember when there was a heat of the day? Remember that? Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought 
and then you may all wash your feet and rest under his tree, under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seers of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before him. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah, they asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Great, we're privileged today to have uh, Brad Kinney join us, share with us this morning. Brad is the executive director of Journey Home Community. Uh, Journey Home Community, I, I was about to say, is an organization, but you know, and it is, but it really is a community and uh, who welcome and assist refugee claimants as they arrive and begin their life in the Lower Mainland. Many hillsiders have volunteered with Journey Home over the years or, or have helped out with uh, Ride for Refuge. Uh, put your hand up if you have. Oh, well done, guys. And uh, so I'm going to invite uh, Brad to come up. Wow. Um, all of those hands that went up. What a blessing. And thank you so much. And um, I feel so honored to have been invited today. And when I, um, when I think of all the ways that Hillside and Journey Home have worked together over the years, um, I, I'm amazed. Yeah, we went, mentioned the Ride for Refuge most recently. Uh, so many of you supported. Should I stand in a different place? I hear some humming. I'm okay. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. So many, <clears throat> so many of you have helped at the Ride for Refuge, and you've volunteered, and you've supported us in so many ways through projects. We're going to hear about one of those projects uh, that some of you were involved in uh, later on as I talk here today. But I just want to say thank you, and maybe we could be begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can gather together in freedom. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world where they don't have that luxury. And we pray 
for refuge for them. Thank you that you are the God of refuge, and I pray that you would speak to us today about your heart for the world. Thank you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So, yeah, a lot of you put up your hand, and so I think many of you know about what is Journey Home and what do we do, but I'm not going to assume that everybody does, so I just want to start a little bit with a brief overview about how Journey Home is involved. So, you're probably aware that a lot of refugees arrive through government assistance and private sponsorship programs. So these refugees, they seek protection overseas. They leave their country, they often go to a United Nations office and they say, we need protection, and uh, they get a piece of paper that identifies them as refugees, and then eventually, hopefully, the government of Canada or uh, maybe a private sponsor group like a church or a group of citizens uh, arranges for them to come to Canada. As soon as they arrive, they're permanent residents here, which is wonderful, amazing programs. Um, another way that refugees arrive in Canada is through the refugee claimant pathway. This group, rather than seeking asylum overseas, they travel to Canada on their own. They figure out a way to get here on their own, and they ask for protection when they arrive. Just like government-assisted and private-sponsored refugees, they have suffered persecution and trauma in their home country, and that suffering has forced them to flee. But because upon arrival in Canada, their status is yet to be determined, um, sometimes that takes nine to 18 months sometimes. So it's a long process. They arrive in a state of uncertainty. What's my status here? Like other refugees, they may not arrive knowing English, They've left jobs and family and friends, so they feel disconnected. But unlike government-assisted and private-sponsored refugees, they don't have a community that is ready to welcome them. They don't have a guarantee of housing, and they don't qualify for all of the same government programs. So they have to look out for themselves. They're on their own. So alone, traumatized, disconnected, under-resourced, at risk of homelessness, these are common experiences for newly arriving refugee claimants. And it's this third group that Journey Home has organized to welcome. So our mission as an organization, as a community, appreciate that word, Doug, is Journey Home uh, is inspired by God's love, <clears throat> and we are creating caring communities that offer refugee claimants housing, resettlement support, settlement support, and opportunities for connection. So that's our introduction about who we are and what we do. We'll come back to that, but let's, let's look at the passage in Genesis. I love this passage. It's one of my favorite Old Testament passages. Uh, I find it a bit mysterious, particularly around the identity of the three strangers. But let's, let's share a little bit of context first. So the environment of the desert in the Middle East, as you can imagine, is extremely harsh. And in ancient times, um, the, imagine a traveler walking on foot. So there's no, uh, no, no mass transportation through the desert. You're walking on foot. You're going through the desert. It's hot. It's dusty. And finding access to water is a matter of life and death. And because of the scarcity of water, settlements were built near wells or available sources. And travelers on the road in the desert knew that water is life. And as a matter of survival, newcomers are strangers, people that are just wanderers through the desert, travelers. They had to come close to encampments. 
and they had to come close to the people who were living in those settlements. And the people in those settlements, they wanted safety. They wanted protection from these strangers. Let's be honest, friends. I think it's part of the human condition to be a bit suspicious of the stranger. Sometimes they feel a bit threatening, and when they come into our space, what's your first reaction? Do you raise the alert or even put up your guard a little bit? I think that there's a little bit of naturalness in that. But because of this intersection of travelers who need to survive in this harsh environment, the wilderness, and the locals who needed safety and needed water, there were some codes of conduct that were developed, some culture that developed, where locals were obligated to provide for travelers that stopped at their tents. And under these customs, they could expect some sense of protection from these visiting strangers. For forcibly displaced people all around the world, they're wandering along something we call the refugee highway. And their experience is much like a traveler in the desert. They're walking alone. It's often a hostile and dangerous route that they have to navigate. And I want to tell you a story about a person that I met through Journey Home. Her name is Mariam. Mariam arrived from Iran along with her husband and daughter. And while living in Tehran, she met some Catholic Christians, some underground Catholic Christians, and became curious and attracted to the faith. And she converted. And she started attending meetings and services. But her co-workers noticed changes. Mariam uh, was different. She talked different. She, she, um, she had different views now. And so they reported her. They raised concerns about her. And Miriam started being harassed in the streets. She started being followed, and the police had their eye on her. Her husband, who was, who was at the time a Muslim man, um, loved his wife very much and wanted her to be protected and wanted his family to be together, and they decided together as a group, we have to leave. And so together they fled. All three of them assumed false identities, which was the only way for them to leave the country, and they began a long journey to Canada. Upon arrival, they had no money, no connections, no friends, no family, and no way to earn a living. The family was highly vulnerable, disconnected and homeless. I met them in a hotel, the YWCA Hotel in downtown Vancouver, where they had a two or three nights, and that's all that the Red Cross could provide for them. And they shared their story, and they pleaded with me for help. Figuratively, I think Miriam and her family were thirsty and hungry, exhausted from their journey, much like these three strangers who approached Abraham in Genesis 18. So let's look at this interaction with the strangers and Abraham and Sarah and see what can we learn about showing hospitality to the stranger, to immigrants, to foreigners, to those who have experienced persecution. So when this story happened, Abraham and Sarah were quite old, it says. Uh, commentators think about 100 years old, actually. And 25 years earlier, um, they had received a promise from God that together they would have a son and that God would make them into a great nation. That was Genesis 12. And over the years, God repeated that promise two other times in Genesis 15 and 17. And yet here they were, still childless, promise unfulfilled. So that's the scene. And here's the big idea for today. That when we welcome the vulnerable and the stranger, we welcome the God who transforms and blesses us. 
So in welcoming the outcast or the stranger, I want to suggest three postures that maybe we can adopt. It's the posture of beholding, looking around. It's the posture of activation and generosity, opening our hands. And it's the posture of expectation and being ready to be blessed. So behold, look around, notice the needs of others, and then be activated when you see those needs and be generous in your activation. And then when you do this, be expectant. Expect a blessing. So let's start with behold, look around. So in verse one, it says, and the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. So what's Abraham doing here? Was he on the lookout for bandits, for strangers who might rob him and his, his clan? Was he actually just in the, in the door of his tent trying to keep cool at the hottest part of the day? Maybe he's watching out for others in his group. Uh, regardless of what his reason for being at the entrance of his tent, it, that's where we begin. Abraham was there, and he was being attentive. He was on the lookout. He had his head up, and he was scanning. One commentator explains that in this ancient hospitality code, travelers, they would often start really early in the morning at daybreak, because that's the coolest part of the day, the easiest time to journey. And about midday, when the sun was hot, they would look for a place to rest. And if they came upon a settlement like Abraham's, they would look for the largest tent, because that's the tent of the chief of the clan. And so the strangers, just by approaching Abraham's tent, they're actually signaling to him that they wish to avail themselves of hospitality. So maybe that's what Abraham was waiting for. Who might pass by his tent? Who might be needing to keep cool? Maybe he's just trying to keep cool, but, but what strangers might visit him? So he was waiting and watching. He was ready for visitors. So I think this is an invitation for you and I. Let's keep our eyes open and wait for the approach of the stranger. Strangers are all around us, in a, especially in a big city like, like Metro Vancouver. Uh, we're, as, we're, as we're looking for the approach of a stranger, do we see the marginalized or the disadvantaged in that group? Do we notice? Keep your eyes open for a weary traveler who might need a little bit of refreshment. So the story in Genesis anticipates the laws that would be developed for the people of God. In the book of Deuteronomy, the next book, in chapter 10, we read, he defends the cause of the fatherless, this is God, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So God implores his people over and over to take care of widows and orphans and strangers. And why? Well, I have, a, I have a resource that I want to recommend to you. Maybe just write this down. It's called uh, Refuge Reimagined. It's a book by uh, a local author, Mark Glanville, who's a, who's a professor at Regent College, and it's co-authored by his brother Luke, who lives in Australia. And the book, Refuge Reimagined, uh, talks about Deuteronomy and this code of welcoming the stranger and how the Lord is forming a community that is to be vastly different than its neighboring ancient Near East neighbors. So Israel was to be a community that reflects the heart of God, the character of God. 
So Mark and Luke say every person within this new community is to experience the freshness, the genuineness, and the grace that flourishes when people are knit together as sisters and brothers through the redeeming act and loving rule of God. An example of this new community is one in which strangers are welcomed as if they are kin, included as part of the family. God's people welcome outsiders and treat them like their new brothers and sisters. That's the character of God, and that's the character that he wants his community to reflect. So behold, look around. Notice the strangers that are needing welcome and treat them as kin, as family, as new brothers and sisters. So um, who are the foreigners residing among us here in the Tri-Cities? In Metro Vancouver, new immigrants, temporary foreign workers, refugees, refugee claimants, all newcomers are going through tremendous challenges because of their transition. But those who have forcible displacement on top of that are dealing with fresh trauma because of persecution, and they might need additional help when they arrive. So think back to that story of Miriam and her family. Some of thousands who arrive in Canada seeking refuge, and, and while they're all around us, sometimes we don't see them. Sometimes they just blend into society, and maybe we don't notice. Why? I think it's because, in many ways, they look just like you and I. They look just like our community. They're often well-dressed, they have smartphones, and it's hard to pick them out of the crowd. But under the surface, they're wading through the grief of having lost everything, having left their homeland, having said goodbye to families and never having a promise of ever seeing them again. They're grappling with the trauma that forced them on the run, sometimes violence. And they are afraid that they won't belong here, refugee claimants in particular. Will I be accepted? Will I be able to sustain myself financially? Will I be able to feed my family? They ask themselves the question, will I ever have a home again? This is why, like Abraham, we're invited to behold. We're invited to lift our eyes and see who's approaching, who's arriving in Canada, hoping for a little bit of support, some refreshment, and a place to rest. Church, are we looking around? I want to invite you into that posture. And then our second posture is let's be activated and generous. So in the second verse, it says, when he, this is Abraham, saw them, these three visitors, he hurried from the entrance to the tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground, and he said, if I've found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way. So a little water to wash, a short stay to rest under a shady tree, and food for refreshment. Abraham got active. He became activated. He made space. He fed them. And it wasn't just a snack, but it ended up being a full-on feast. He knew that if he was to provide true hospitality, he needed to be generous. And he asked Sarah to prepare some bread and offer it in abundance. So Sarah got involved. Quick, he said, get three measures of the finest flour and knead it into some bread. And then he ran to the herd and he selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who prepared it. And when all was ready, he served the bread, the beef, the, the curds, the milk, and this wonderful feast made sure that these strangers were taken care of. And then, then in verse 16, when the men got up to leave, 
They looked down towards where they were headed, towards Sodom, and Abraham walked with them to see them on their way. I'm going to suggest that refugee ministry is not unlike this encounter Abraham had with these men. It requires activated and generous people. So first, you take care of the practical needs, the food, the shelter, the hygiene, the rest, time to stabilize after a hard journey. Allow time for people to regain strength and stability and eat with them and build friendships. And then walk together and show them the way. Newcomers need accompaniment of a church or a welcome team, a community, new friends who will be able to provide guidance, friendship, and companionship. And this is what Hillside has been helping us with. Recently, there was a project just up the street in Cottonwood. We had nine housing units that were lent to us from a developer. We call them Meanwhile Spaces. And um, we reached out to your church because we're familiar with you, and you're in the neighborhood, and we said, would you guys help? And uh, you put up your hands and said, we'll help. You got active, and you became generous. And I want to invite up uh, Saeed. Saeed uh, led this project, and um, I want to share a couple, of, uh, a couple of questions and hear from Saeed. And just, um, is this mic okay for Saeed? Yeah, it's perfect. Right here, Saeed. So, Saeed, you yourself came as a refugee claimant not long ago. And so, maybe let's start by asking about that. Maybe could you share your experience entering Canada as a refugee claimant? Yeah, sure. Well, as you mentioned, there are two groups of refugees and immigrants that come to Canada. Some of them are sponsored by government or private organization. Uh, and I didn't have a chance to... A little closer. Okay. And I didn't have a chance to be sponsored by government or private organization, so I came here on my own. And it was a, a difficult decision for me before uh, leaving my country because, uh, you know, as you mentioned, you have to leave everything you have behind, your family, your loved ones. Even I left my wife there and uh, your connections, friends, credit that you have in the community, everything. And you, you are going through a journey that starts your new version, okay? Uh, so I, when I arrived here, so no one was waiting for me here to welcome me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only family that I have here is my sister is living here for more than 10 years. But at that time, she was also struggling with cancer and she was not in a good you know, condition. So uh, I came here and while I was in a flight to Canada, it takes more than 20 hours. I was just thinking about what is waiting for me there. Okay. I have left everything behind and now what, I, you know, uh, what is waiting for me and what, how the days will be, okay? especially in the first weeks or month. But uh, the only thing that I had in my mind was I have somewhere to depend on and that was the church. And the only friends that I had here uh, before, because I came here just a couple of months before I leave Canada, and then I went back to Iran and then came again. So I, I was able to make some friends here. And Pastor Bill was my first friend here and the only one who helped me to this way. So uh, I can say that for me, this experience was only uh, possible by depending on church and what God, and, you know, the 
God's plan. Because、mm-hmm. there was no positive sign for me in this journey when I was living in my country. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. And also,、uh, well done, Hillside, being open to welcome、yeah. Saeed. What makes, I, I hear in you that made such a great difference. Yeah. Uh, second question is recently you jumped in on this project with Journey Home to help other refugee claimant families living just up the street. Why? What motivated you to do that? And、uh, also want to ask you did you feel like that made any difference for you?、Mm-hmm, sure.、Uh, well, what motivated me to do that was because I, when, when Pastor Bill suggested me that there is a kind of project that we can participate in. So,、uh, I said, I want to do this definitely because these people are, are struggling and dealing with difficulties that I have been through.、Mm-hmm. And I know and I feel what they are already feeling. Okay?、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, and, and the other thing was that most of them were from the same region that I come from, from Middle East. And I know maybe you know, they can talk about their problems and difficulties with people here in Canada. But maybe people who haven't been through those days cannot 100% feel what they are you know, struggling with. But a person like me who has been through these dark days, I can <laughs> say, and painful days, will have a better understanding. And the other thing was that, that when they see a person from their own region and from their own you know, country, maybe, they feel comfortable to share their story. And you know, talk about what the, what the problems and difficult, difficulties that they have are. Okay, so, and also,、uh, if I just ans- want to answer the second part of your question, I should mention that、um, what was in it for me was that also I was feeling that I am a useful person here in this community, and this is also about belonging to somewhere. You know, when you do something positive for others, you feel that you are part of this community. You are someone that at least some people are, you know, are、uh, depending on you, okay, and are looking for help that you can provide for them. And it gives you a very, very good feeling that you are, you are you know, just a facilitator for them、yeah. through the, the, their journeys.、Yeah. So, so that was the thing that was in it for me. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that.、Yeah. Can I say a prayer for you? Sure. Yeah. Lord, thank you for Saeed. Thank you for his heart to welcome. And thank you that you have、uh, brought him here. And I pray for,、um, for the refuge that he's experiencing, for it to grow, and for,、uh, for blessing in his life. Pray that his wife would be able to join him here as well. And、uh, we just are so thankful for Saeed, and we just、uh, pray this blessing on him. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Bless you. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Saeed. I,、uh, I, feel, I feel inspired by your story.、Um, what I see in Saeed is he,、uh, he was attentive. He was looking and he put up his hand and he said, I can do this. And I also see that he experienced some blessing in that. And that's where we're going to go、uh, in a minute. But、um, <clears throat> when we go back to the story of Abraham and Sarah, Um, we see that, that,、um, that there was an opportunity for Abraham and Sarah to be active and generous, and it reflected the heart of God. There was a, there's a quote from Rabbi Kerry Olitsky that I put up on the screen here, and it's, 
In terms of Jewish hospitality, Oleski says, Abraham rushed to greet his visitors. He made sure that they were comfortable and satiated, and then he walked them out away from his tent to make sure they found their way. That's a great model for hospitality. Rush to greet people, make sure they're comfortable and satiated, and then make them help make sure they're finding their way. <clears throat> so our final posture today is that last question that, that Saeed answered for us. Be expectant and be blessed. So there's a bit of mystery in this passage, and it's the question of who are these strangers? In verse 1, um, it, there's, a, there's a hint. Abraham identifies uh, and says, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Well, theologians have, theologians have spilled a lot of ink thinking about the identity of these three men. Who could they be? Um, it's clear from this visitation that this is maybe um, God himself. And some theologians think this is maybe the pre-incarnate Son of God, Jesus himself, accompanied by a couple of angels. It's hard to know for sure, but uh, later on in the passage, it says, uh, the Lord said to Abraham. So th there's, this is an encounter with God. Remember, we started out that Abraham and, and Sarah, uh, in their story, 25 years of waiting for the promise of a child, a, pro a promise yet to be fulfilled. And Abraham and Sarah's hospitality that they shared with these three strangers was returned in the form of a fulfilled promise. Sarah felt that that promise was always out of reach. Abraham probably felt the same way too. So during the meal, one of the men said in verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah laughed as we heard. And she knew how old she was. She knew how old Abraham was. But the man said, is anything too hard for the Lord? A year later, Genesis 21.1. The promise is fulfilled. The Lord visits Sarah just as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Now, I'm not saying it's a clear one-to-one -one that if you welcome newcomers, your greatest desire is going to be fulfilled. But what is clear is that when God enters into relationship with people and he promises to them in covenant what he will do, he's going to follow through. And it's clear that this is a passage about relationship because there's feasting together, there's walking together, there's talking together. God visited Abraham and Sarah and the relationship established 25 years earlier in that promise is renewed with a new and fresh encounter. God is present and he listens and he visits in such an unexpected way. I want to say it's the same for you and I. We are invited into relationship with God with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in perfect community with one another. And God offers hospitality in Jesus Christ. God himself coming in flesh, visiting us, and sharing life with us. Jesus calls his followers brothers and sisters. Back to that word, kin. We become kin. He welcomes us by enveloping us within the perfect love that is shared by Father, Son, and Spirit. It's beautiful. John Ortberg says, we've been invited into this fellowship of love. To gather in Jesus' name means to, to relate to other people with the same spirit of servanthood, submission, and delight that characterizes Jesus in the Trinity. A community of loving people is God's signature. That is why the experience of authentic community is so life-giving. It's what we've been created for. It's what you've been created for. So again, it's John Ortberg in his book, The Great Invitation, that, that writes, 
To experience community is to know the joy of belonging, the delight at being known and loved, the opportunity for giving and growing, and the safety of finding a true home. That's what newcomers, that's what refugees desire. To be known and to be loved, to give and to grow, to to be safe and to find a true home. And isn't that also what you and I desire as well? Deep down, that's the power of hospitality. We see a need, we meet a need, and at the same time, in a very mutually beneficial way, our needs are also being met. How does that happen? This is where I think some of the mystery comes in, and I want, you to, I want to invite you to think through the eyes of faith for a minute. When we behold a need and when we respond with generosity, blessing comes because I believe, and join me in this, that we're interacting with God. We experience the goodness of relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We experience the unfolding of being welcomed into this perfect relationship of a Trinitarian God. We enter into his work of welcoming and including others, expanding the circle of what it means to be family. So when we open our community to refugees and when we eat with them and provide them clothing and accompany them, when we walk along the highway with them, in a way, and indulge me in this for a moment, aren't we encountering Jesus himself? In Matthew 25, Jesus teaches that in the end, at the end of time, the king will say, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom that was prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, the same word stranger that was in Deuteronomy. And you invited me in. And the response of, of uh, those who are being welcomed into the kingdom is, when? When were you hungry or thirsty or a stranger? I don't remember that. And the king replies, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus says, when you welcome the stranger, you are welcoming me. Sometimes uh, in my work at Journey Home, I like to imagine with spiritual eyes when I'm sitting across at a community dinner, sitting across a, from, from a refugee friend of mine, that I'm actually sitting across from Jesus. In my brother and sister that I'm meeting with, I'm meeting Jesus. And in those encounters, God is fulfilling promises to me, promises of his presence, promises of his provision, promises of life and life abundantly. So, Remember back to our big idea for today, that when we welcome the vulnerable and the stranger, we welcome the God who transforms and blesses us. I promise you that the deeper you step into welcoming strangers, refugees, newcomers, you can be expectant that you're going to experience the blessing of the transforming God of the universe. As Hillside Community Church continues its involvement in refugee ministry, in small or large ways or whatever you whatever you decide to do, through partnership with Journey Home, through other means, through volunteerism, consider the story of Abraham and Sarah and the three visitors. Consider the story of Miriam, who arrived with her husband and her child. Consider the story of Saeed. Offer radical hospitality, and in doing so, I promise you'll be met by and changed by God. I'm so grateful. Thank you for having me here today. I appreciate the hospitality that you show and for all that you've been doing to welcome refugees over the years. 
And if you're interested in learning more about Journey Home or ways that you could be involved in partnership with us, I'll be standing at the back after the service. Come and say hi. Love to talk to you. Thank you very much.